Chapter Eight of Cabbages and Kings by O. Henry. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Eric Metzler. The Admiral. Spilled milk draws few tears from an Anchurian administration. Many are its lacteal sources, and the clock's hands point forever to milking time. Even the rich cream skimmed from the treasury by the bewitched Miraflores did not cause the newly installed patriots to waste time in unprofitable regrets. The government philosophically set about supplying the deficiency by increasing the import duties and by suggesting to wealthy private citizens that contributions according to their means would be considered patriotic and in order. Prosperity was expected to attend the reign of Losada, the new president. The ousted office-holders and military favorites organized a new liberal party and began to lay their plans for a re-succession. Thus the game of Anchurian politics began, like a Chinese comedy, to unwind slowly its serial length. Here and there mirth peeps for an instant from the wings, and illumines the florid lines. A dozen quarts of champagne in conjunction with an informal sitting of the President and his cabinet led to the establishment of the Navy and the appointment of Felipe Carrera as its admiral. Next to the champagne the credit of the appointment belongs to Don Sabas Placido, the newly confirmed Minister of War. The President had requested a convention of his cabinet for the discussion of questions politic and for the transaction of certain routine matters of state. The session had been signally tedious, the business and the wine prodigiously dry. A sudden prankish humor of Don Sabas, impelling him to the deed, spiced the grave affairs of state with a whiff of agreeable playfulness. In the dilatory order of business had come a bulletin from the coast department of Orilla del Mar reporting the seizure by the customs house officers at the town of Coralio of the sloop Estrella del Noche and her cargo of dry goods, patent medicines, granulated sugar, and three-star brandy. Also six martini rifles and a barrel of American whiskey. Caught in the act of smuggling, the sloop with its cargo was now, according to law, the property of the Republic. The collector of customs, in making his report, departed from the conventional form so far as to suggest that the confiscated vessel be converted to the use of the government. The prize was the first capture to the credit of the department in ten years. The collector took the opportunity to pat his department on the back. It often happened that government officials required transportation from point to point along the coast, and means were usually lacking. Furthermore, the sloop could be manned by a local crew and employed as a coast guard to discourage the pernicious art of smuggling. The collector also ventured to nominate one to whom the charge of the boat could be safely entrusted, a young man of Coralio, Felipe Carrera, not, be it understood, one of extreme wisdom, but loyal and the best sailor along the coast. It was upon this hint that the Minister of War acted executing a rare piece of drollery that so enlivened the tedium of executive session. In the constitution of the small, maritime banana republic was a forgotten section that provided for the maintenance of a navy. This provision, with many other wiser ones, had lain inert since the establishment of the republic. Anchuria had no navy and had no use for one. It was characteristic of Don Sabas, a man at once merry, learned, whimsical, and audacious, that he should have disturbed the dust of this musty and sleeping statute to increase the humor of the world by so much as a smile from his indulgent colleagues. With delightful mock seriousness the Minister of War proposed the creation of a navy. 
he argued its need and the glories it might achieve with such gay and witty zeal that the travesty overcame with its humour even the swart dignity of president losada himself the champagne was bubbling trickily in the veins of the mercurial statesman it was not the custom of the grave governors of anchuria to enliven their sessions with a beverage so apt to cast a veil of disparagement over sober affairs the wine had been a thoughtful compliment tendered by the agent of the vesuvius fruit company as a token of amicable relations and certain consummated deals between that company and the republic of anchuria the jest was carried to its end a formidable official document was prepared encrusted with chromatic seals and jaunty with fluttering ribbons bearing the florid signatures of state this commission conferred upon el senor don felipe carrera the title of flag admiral of the republic of anchuria thus within the space of a few minutes and the dominion of a dozen extra dry the country took its place among the naval powers of the world and felipe carrera became entitled to a salute of nineteen guns whenever he might enter port the southern races are lacking in that particular kind of humour that finds entertainment in the defects and misfortunes bestowed by nature owing to this defect in their constitution they are not moved to laughter as are their northern brothers by the spectacle of the deformed the feeble-minded or the insane felipe carrera was sent upon earth with but half his wits therefore the people of corralio called him el pobrecito loco the poor little crazed one saying that god had sent but half of him to earth retaining the other half a sombre youth glowering and speaking only at the rarest times felipe was but negatively loco on shore he generally refused all conversation he seemed to know that he was badly handicapped on land where so many kinds of understanding are needed but on the water his one talent set him equal with most men few sailors whom god had carefully and completely made could handle a sailboat as well five points nearer the wind than even the best of them he could sail his sloop when the elements raged and sent other men to cowering the deficiencies of felipe seemed of little importance he was a perfect sailor if an imperfect man he owned no boat but worked among the crews of the schooners and sloops that skimmed the coast trading and freighting fruit out to the steamers where there was no harbour it was through his famous skill and boldness on the sea as well as for the pity felt for his mental imperfections that he was recommended by the collector as a suitable custodian of the captured sloop when the outcome of don saba's little pleasantry arrived in the form of the imposing and preposterous commission the collector smiled he had not expected such prompt and overwhelming response to his recommendation he dispatched a muchacho at once to fetch the future admiral the collector waited in his official quarters his office was in the calle grande and the sea breezes hummed through its windows all day the collector in white linen and canvas shoes philandered with papers on an antique desk a parrot perched on a pen-rack seasoned the official tedium with a fire of choice castilian imprecations two rooms opened into the collector's in one the clerical force of young men of variegated complexions transacted with glitter and parade their several duties through the open door of the other room could be seen a bronze babe guiltless of clothing that rollicked upon the floor in a grass hammock a thin woman tinted of pale lemon played a guitar and swung contentedly in the breeze thus surrounded by the routine of his high duties and the visible tokens of agreeable domesticity the collector's heart was further made happy by the power placed in his hands 
to brighten the fortunes of the innocent Felipe. Felipe came and stood before the collector. He was a lad of twenty, not ill-favoured in looks, but with an expression of distant and pondering vacuity. He wore white cotton trousers, down the seams of which he had sewn red stripes with some vague aim at military decoration. A flimsy blue shirt fell open at his throat. His feet were bare. He held in his hand the cheapest of straw hats from the States. "'Señor Carrera,' said the collector, gravely, producing the showy commission, "'I have sent for you at the President's bidding. This document that I present to you confers upon you the title of Admiral of this great republic, and gives you absolute command of the naval forces and fleet of our country. You may think, friend Felipe, that we have no navy, but yes!' The sloop, the Estrella del Noche, that my brave men captured from the coast smugglers, is to be placed under your command. The boat is to be devoted to the services of your country. You will be ready at all times to convey officials of the government to points along the coast where they may be obliged to visit. You will also act as a coast guard to prevent, as far as you may be able, the crime of smuggling. You will uphold the honor and prestige of your country at sea, and endeavor to place Anchuria among the proudest naval powers of the world. These are your instructions, as the Minister of War desires me to convey them to you. Por Dios! I do not know how all this is to be accomplished, for not one word did his letter contain in respect to a crew, or to the expenses of this navy. Perhaps you are to provide a crew yourself, Señor Admiral. I do not know, but it is a very high honor that has descended upon you. I now hand you your commission. When you are ready for the boat, I will give orders that she shall be made over into your charge. That is as far as my instructions go. Felipe took the commission that the collector handed to him. He gazed through the open window at the sea for a moment, with his customary expression of deep but vain pondering. Then he turned without having spoken a word, and walked swiftly away through the hot sand of the street. Pobrecito loco, sighed the collector, and the parrot on the pen-rack screeched, Loco! loco loco the next morning a strange procession filed through the streets to the collector's office at its head was the admiral of the navy somewhere felipe had raked together a pitiful semblance of a military uniform a pair of red trousers a dingy blue short jacket heavily ornamented with gold braid and an old fatigue cap that must have been cast away by one of the british soldiers in belize and brought away by felipe on one of his coasting voyages buckled around his waist was an ancient ship's cutlass contributed to his equipment by Pedro Lafitte, the baker, who proudly asserted its inheritance from his ancestor, the illustrious buccaneer. At the admiral's heels tagged his newly shipped crew, three grinning, glossy, black carabs, bare to the waist, the sand spurting in showers from the spring of their naked feet. Briefly and with dignity, Felipe demanded his vessel of the collector, and now a fresh honor awaited him. The collector's wife, who played the guitar and read novels in the hammock all day, had more than a little romance in her placid yellow bosom. She had found in an old book an engraving of a flag that purported to be the naval flag of Anchuria. Perhaps it had so been designed by the founders of the nation, but as no navy had ever been established, Oblivion had claimed the flag. Laboriously with her own hands she had made a flag after the pattern, a red cross upon a blue and white ground. She presented it to Felipe with these words. "'Brave sailor, this flag is of your country. Be true and defend it with your life. Go you with God.' 
For the first time since his appointment the admiral showed a flicker of emotion. He took the silken emblem, and passed his hand reverently over its surface. "'I am the admiral,' he said to the collector's lady. Being on land he could bring himself to no more exuberant expression of sentiment. At sea, with the flag at the masthead of his navy, some more eloquent exposition of feelings might be forthcoming. Abruptly the admiral departed with his crew. For the next three days they were busy giving the Estrella del Noche a new coat of white paint trimmed with blue, and then Felipe further adorned himself by fastening a handful of brilliant parrot's plumes in his cap. Again he tramped with his faithful crew to the collector's office, and formally notified him that the sloop's name had been changed to El Nacional. During the next few months the navy had its troubles. Even an admiral's perplexed to know what to do without any orders. But none came. Neither did any salaries. El Nacional swung idly at anchor. When Felipe's little store of money was exhausted, he went to the collector and raised the question of finances. "'Salaries!' exclaimed the collector, with his hands raised. "'Valgame Dios! Not one centavo of my own pay have I received for the last seven months. The pay of an admiral, do you ask? Quien sabe? Should it be less than three thousand pesos? Mira!' You will see a revolution in this country very soon. A good sign of it is when the government calls all the time for pesos, 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 and pays none out. Felipe left the collector's office, with a look almost of content on his sombre face. A revolution would mean fighting, and then the government would need his services. It was rather humiliating to be an admiral without anything to do, and have a hungry crew at your heels begging for reales to buy plantains and tobacco with. When he returned to where his happy-go-lucky carabs were waiting, they sprang up and saluted, as he had drilled them to do. "'Come, muchachos,' said the admiral. "'It seems that the government is poor. It has no money to give us. We will earn what we need to live upon. Thus we will serve our country.' Soon, his heavy eyes almost lighted up, it may gladly call upon us for help. Thereafter El Nacional turned out with the other coast craft and became a wage-earner. She worked with the lighters freighting bananas and oranges out to the fruit steamers that could not approach nearer than a mile from the shore. Surely a self-supporting navy deserves red letters in the budget of any nation. After earning enough at freighting to keep himself and his crew in provisions for a week, Felipe would anchor the navy and hang about the little telegraph office, looking like one of the chorus of an insolvent comic opera troupe besieging the manager's den. A hope for orders from the capital was always in his heart. That his services as admiral had never been called into requirement hurt his pride and patriotism. At every call he would inquire, gravely and expectantly, for dispatches. The operator would pretend to make a search, and then reply, "'Not yet, it seems, Señor el Admirante. Poco tiempo.' Outside in the shade of the lime-trees the crew chewed sugar-cane or slumbered, well content to serve a country that was contented with so little service. One day in the early summer the revolution predicted by the collector flamed out suddenly. It had long been smouldering. At the first note of alarm the admiral of the navy force and fleet made all sail for a larger port on the coast of a neighboring republic, where he traded a hastily collected cargo of fruit for its value in cartridges for the five martini rifles, the only guns that the navy could boast. Then to the telegraph office sped the admiral. Sprawling in his favorite corner, in his fast-decaying uniform, with his prodigious sabre distributed between his red legs. He waited for the long-delayed, but now soon expected, orders. 
Not yet, Senor El Admirante, the telegraph clerk would call to him. Poco tiempo. At the answer, the admiral would plump himself down with a great rattling of scabbard to await the infrequent tick of the little instrument on the table. They will come, would be his unshaken reply. I am the admiral. End of chapter 8 Recording by Eric Metzler, Albuquerque, New Mexico, United States of America